0: Just what you've been waiting for Movies, TV, music and more Follow, subscribe, stay up to date Episodes dropping on Mondays Is the man, is the man, watch thats the man, is the man, watch thats the man, is the man, watch that Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, the winter is like a guest who overstays their welcome. Now I know I mentioned last season how I enjoy the cold, and was kind of wishing Mother Nature would drop 20 to 30 feet of snow this year. I'm okay with that. But there's something about that stretch between January and February that just feels longer. When I go on vacation, the days seem to go by in a flash. But 59 days? It's like attending a philosophy lecture. I think it's because of the lack of entertainment. Most shows go on hiatus. We have to endure second-rate reality competition series and game shows hosted by overly caffeinated actors. On the sports front, the NFL season is winding down. Once again, the Giants will be missing the playoffs and they're just shooting for the draft pick. We're heading into that period, the doldrums of winter, where the only sports left to watch is basketball and hockey. But I'd really appreciate it if the NBA and NHL could coordinate their schedules so the Knicks and Islanders don't play at the same time. When they're both on, it's like Sophie's choice without the horrific consequences. Growing up, I was probably a bigger fan of hockey. The Islanders were unstoppable as a team in the 80s, and most of my friends were on travel teams, so I'd be forced to practice with them. Yes, thank you so much for making me goalie. But now, between the two sports, I'll always choose basketball. Between the three-pointers and the slam dunks, it's a more entertaining product in my opinion. And there are so many more personalities in the sport. The NBA has figured out how to capitalize on their stars. Curry, LeBron, Davis, Embiid, Lillard, Harden, Antetokounmpo. It also helps that the Knicks have had a competitive team, while the Islanders have spent more time in the cellar than a 1947 Cheval Blanc, but the NBA needs to speed up the end of games. Between fouls and the timeouts, it feels like, well, attending a philosophy lecture. <laughs> On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars worth checking out, and five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie, The Hustler from 1961. So how'd I miss it? Even though I majored in film and love watching movies, I will admit that I have trouble getting into classic films. Sometimes it's the old-timey language and inflection. Sometimes it's the slower pace. I'll never claim to have a great attention span. I totally appreciate the quality and craftsmanship, but I've kinda convinced myself that I like them more than I actually do. Unless it's a horror film, universal monsters, things like that, then I'm usually on board. The Hustler was directed by Robert Rosen, who helmed Alexander the Great, Island in the Sun, and was nominated for Best Writing, Screenplay, and Best Director of All the King's Men. He was called to testify before the House Un-American Activities Committee for his association with the Communist Party, and found himself blacklisted before succumbing and naming names. The screenplay was co-written by Robert Rosen and Sidney Carroll, based on the novel by Walter Tevis, who scribed The Color of Money, The Man Who Fell to Earth, and The Queen's Gambit. This is something to look out for. The movie includes a pre credit sequence, which was rare for the time and something I utilize in all my projects. Now I know where it came from. Fast Eddie Felsen arrives in New York City with his partner Charlie Burns. While they wait for their car to be checked out, they drop into a pool hall to kick a few back. The bartender mentions it's a hot day for driving, and they decided to play a couple of rounds of pool to wait out the heat. They wager on the games, with Fast Eddie quickly going down 60-70 bucks. Charlie decides not to bet anymore because Eddie's drunk, but he protests. A patron chimes in and says he'll play Eddie. I smell me a scheme. Not surprisingly, he cons the man out of a boatload of money. Fast Eddie Felsen is suave, attractive, and cocky. He has ambitions to become the most successful pool shark. He's portrayed by Paul Newman, who starred in Cool Hand Luke, The Verdict, and won a Best Actor in a Leading Role Academy Award for The Color of Money. His partner in crime, Charlie, is played by Myron McCormick, who's best known for his role on Broadway in the musical South Pacific. He was the only cast member to remain with the show for its entire run, 1925 performances. Fast Eddie and Charlie roll into another pool hall, Ames. He makes the bold proclamation that he's going to win ten grand in one night. He's approached by Big John, who asks if he's looking for action. Tells Eddie that Minnesota Fats will be right in this pool room at 8 o'clock on the nose. He's never been beaten in 15 years and is the country's best pool player. Jackie Gleason inhabits the part, known for The Honeymooners and Smokey and the Bandit. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for this movie. That night, they have their first encounter. Fast Eddie admires how Minnesota Fats plays the table. He moves like a dancer, has strokes like he's playing the violin, but he keeps pace. They have competitive games. When Fast Eddie raises the stakes to $1,000 a game, Minnesota Fats sends out Preacher to get drinks from Johnny's Bar, but it's to alert professional gambler Burt Gordon who bankrolls him. He's acted by George C. Scott, who worked on Dr. Strangelove, The Changeling, and won an Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Patton. After playing over 25 hours, Minnesota Fats finally gets the better of him. But that's not the end of the road for Fast Eddie. He plans on challenging him again. Here's a quote without context. How can I lose? The Hustler isn't about pool. it's about a man who strives for greatness and the obstacle getting in his way from achieving it is himself. The performances are exceptionally strong, the whole cast played their roles to perfection, the first 30 minutes were really compelling, the movie kept the interest when all they were really doing was playing pool. The film steps on the brakes a little bit with the introduction of Sarah Packard, played by Piper Laurie. She's very good in the role, but the romantic relationship with Fast Eddie, ironically, slows the movie down. I lost a bit of enthusiasm because I wanted to see more pool playing and schemes. If they intercut between the action and the romance, it would have had better pace. But I understand the need to interject her storyline because, as an alcoholic, it's another person like Fast Eddie who's on a path to self-destruction. Neither person knows how to get out of their own way. Now for a little trivial trivia... Boxer Jake LaMotta makes a cameo appearance as a bartender, and billiards champion Willie Moscone performs some of the trick shots. The cinematography was captured by Eugene Shufdan. I hope I pronounced that right. There's a couple of umlauts in his name. His filmography includes Eyes Without a Face, Metropolis, and won an Academy Award for Best Cinematography, Black and White, for this movie. It was edited by Dee Dee Allen, who was nominated for three Best Film Editing Oscars for Wonder Boys, Reds, and Dog Day Afternoon. This is her second mention on the podcast, the first being in episode 37 with Bonnie and Clyde. The score was composed by Kenyon Hopkins, who wrote the music for Twelve Angry Men, Wild in the Country, and This Property is Condemned. It has a jazzy feel, mostly utilizing a sax for solos. I'd prefer trumpet. But it's quite effective. If you listen to the music on its own, it gives off that imagery of being out late at night in a smoky club. The runtime is 2 hours and 14 minutes, definitely could have been cut, it had a budget of $2.1 million and grossed $7.6 million at the box office, it was nominated for 9 Academy Awards, winning 2. So, maybe I should shut up about the runtime. Paul Newman would reprise the role of Fast Eddie Felsen in the 1986 sequel, The Color of Money. I give it 4 out of 5 stars. Pretty consistent this week. If you've seen The Hustler and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Doom. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt watch that Playback. As a fan of sports announcers can enhance the viewing experience or completely taint it. I think the New York Mets have the best broadcast team in Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling. Even when there's a blowout, and there have been many, they find ways to keep the audience entertained between their knowledge of sports and pop culture. Even games at the end of the season when the Mets are inevitably out of it, I'll still tune in just to hear Gary, Keith, and Ron. But the part of their job that intrigues me is when they or other announcers actually predict plays before they happen. Sometimes it's purely coincidental, and you can hear the surprise in the announcer's voice. Other times, it's the combination of their extraordinary skill and familiarity with in-game situations that can accurately represent the mindset of an athlete. I've seen some of the worst strikeouts where I've thought to myself, how in the hell did he swing at that? But when you hear former players turned announcers talk about all the thoughts that go into every play, add to that the analytics, it's amazing that they can still perform at such a high level without getting paralysis by analysis. I think that's why people appreciate Tony Romo on commentary in football, because he's so adept at reading defenses and letting the audience know how the play is going to transpire. Now, for Dallas fans, it would have been nice if he was able to do that when he was on the field. Announcers Predicting Plays will be available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Dodgeball, a true underdog story. After Anchorman, this movie has to be my favorite comedy of the early aughts. If I come across it on TV, it's a remote drop. It was written and directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber, who is responsible for Central Intelligence, Skyscraper, and most recently Red Notice, all three starring The Rock. Not a bad guy to be associated with. It's got a great cast with Vince Vaughn, Ben Stiller, and Christine Taylor. It's a legitimately funny movie. Great one-liners and lots of laugh-out-loud moments. It's fairly straightforward in its narrative, but has a couple of quirky characters like Steve the Pirate, Patches O'Hoolahan and Franz Stalinoskovich-Davidovichsky. Now, I might be a little biased because dodgeball was one of my favorite games to play in gym class. My hand was never really big enough to grip those red balls, so I would have to cup it in my hand and hold it in the crux of my arm. I'd throw it like a sidearm pitcher, and it had this wicked back curve. But there's nothing better than the sound of rubber hitting someone square in the face and the inevitable thud of their body onto the hardwood floor. But these days, parents will sue a school for their child's hangnail, so I'm sure dodgeball is outlawed. The movie inspired one of my favorite annual events. On August 8th, ESPN changes one of their flanker channels to The Ocho, which is dedicated to showing obscure sports. Cornhole, disc golf, roller derby, and of course, dodgeball. To my average Joes, my recommendation is to watch Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for all the reviews, rants, and random it's fairly straightforward in its narrative, but has a couple of quirky characters like Steve the Pirate, Patches O'Hoolahan, and Fran Stalinowski Davidovichski. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess it up the first time. <laughs> Most shows go on hiatus. We have to endorse second-rate reality competition. Competitions? The hell is that?